0: You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I haven't spoken to my next guest for a few months, and in that few months he has consolidated his new life in the United Kingdom. Proud South African Garth McKenzie from traderscorner.co.za is on the telephone now. How's it going, Garth? How's the transition from an idyllic life in South Africa, but a life that you were well suited to to going to the leafy suburbs of southwest of London. In other words, the county of Surrey, where I was born. How's it going?
1: Yeah, hi, Lindsay. It's good to catch up with you again after some time. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's going well. Thanks. We we've been here for nine months now in the UK, um, and I must say we have settled in quite nicely. We've had a relatively soft landing uh, by by. I think, many people's standards in the sense that we were able to come over here, got our kids into decent schools very easily, um, bought a a house to live in and was able to make it a home fairly quickly. So, yeah, I think on on many levels we've been fortunate that we have managed to have a soft landing over here. And it it does help, I think, to to make life a little bit easier when you're doing something as tumultuous as moving countries uh, across the world. So yeah, overall we're good, we're enjoying it here. And uh, and and finding life is is generally good. Actually,
0: you've got two children. One is six, and one is three. How have they adapted? Because obviously they've had to leave their friends. But on the other hand, children are quite adaptable, and they make new friends at new schools. Have they done well? I mean, are, are they not looking at you and saying, "Why on earth have you done this, mummy and daddy"?
1: Yeah, they've mostly done well. Look, there have been those times, particularly with my six-year-old, where he's sort of said, "Oh, you know, I want to go back to South Africa. I miss my friends and so on." Mm. Uh, the three-year-old is too little to really uh, know any different i mean he was two and a half when we moved over here so he's he's probably never even going to remember living in south africa really but for our six-year-old it's been a difficult adjustment initially Uh, you know we came over obviously it's a new environment new school new uh, friends new everything Um, he's the kid in the class with a different accent so it's been it's been a difficult adjustment for him uh, particularly, but he did start to get into his groove quite nicely with everything. And we were—he you know, was playing sport at school twice a week, and he was playing football on a Saturday morning and uh, doing the Cub Scouts, They call it beavers over here oh, yeah. on a Monday on a Monday evening. You know, so we were doing all of those sort of things for him in order to. Um, to, to help him make friends and get, in, get into a groove in a social circle and way, and it was going very well actually. And then, of course, uh, COVID nineteen hit and the lockdown hit. Mm. So you know, we've we've all been in lockdown. In fact, we started lockdown a little bit earlier in our household. The reason being that I I had well, I think I had the coronavirus. Um, I was never tested, but I I had all the symptoms in early March. So I'm pretty sure I've had it. And, and as a result of that, we decided to self isolate from the 16th of March as a family and so it's actually since then that we've really been homebound and our kids haven't been back to school. so we're talking about to the 10 weeks now where we we, we haven't been or they haven't been back at school and obviously that is is taking its toll on them and it's taking its toll on the whole family I suppose I mean, we all you know in to get together in the house constantly I'm trying to work, my wife's trying to work. The kids get bored. Um, My wife's also been trying to homeschool my my son, which is not easy. Uh, Certainly take my hat off to school teachers. Gosh, it's not an easy job. you know, so so that, so so to get back to him, the six-year-old particularly, you know, he was starting to find his groove and find it a, a happy medium and get settled into his new life. And then, of course, this whole lockdown hit. So his little world has really been tumultuous in the last year, and I, I feel for the little guy. But he's he's you know he's a high-spirited little chap, and he's doing fine. I'm sure he'll ultimately be fine. But it, it is sad to see kids having to, you know, experience this. And and yeah, he said to me the other day, Dad can't we go and just find some other kids to go and kick a ball with on the field? I promise you I'll do social distancing. And I thought, you know, this is a six-year-old kid talking to me about social distancing. It's just, you know, I I almost really felt sad thinking that this is how kids have to, he shouldn't even have to know what social distancing is, quite frankly, as a child. But anyhow, that's the world we're in right now. And it is what it is. And I guess we just have to sort of live in hope that this too shall pass and eventually life will return to some semblance of normality again.
0: Someone will come up with uh, some fancy name for what is going on at the moment and the kids that are born into this. I mean, we've had the baby boomers, we've had the millennials, we still have the millennials, sadly. Uh, We've also got Generation X and it'll go on from there. There will be because it will go on for another year or so. So there'll be two years of societal behaviour that will be characterized by some name. And there will be kids that have either benefited or been disrupted by, by what's going on. But it is a, it's going to be a fascinating social study. And hopefully, you know, if, if they're, par- they're, they're lucky enough to have responsible parents and a decent, uh, decent life, but there will be other kids that won't be so lucky. And it will affect everything. It'll affect markets. It'll affect uh, the way that we invest and everything else, I think.
1: That's right, and I mean, that's what I keep trying to wrap my head around and think, you know, this is a new world, because to say life will return to normality, well, there'll it, it, be a new normal, I suppose. It's not going to be normal in the way that we knew it before, and, and then I've been racking my brain to try and think, okay, well, what does that new normal look like, and what are the themes that one can try and play to from an investment standpoint to try and take advantage of that type of new normal, and there's a lot of things emerging um, which which are interesting. And I think you can see that in the way a lot of stocks have been performing on the stock exchanges around the world. And I'm specifically referring more to the developed world like the, the U.S., um, where you can see big divergences between you know, new age companies and old fashioned uh, industrial age type companies that are no longer as relevant as they were. So it's very interesting to see that playing out at the moment and how it sort of it seems to be dictating the type of future that we're likely to see in the, in
0: going forward quite right final question before we get on to your positioning at the moment and your view of the markets and of the world let's have a look at your attitude towards south africa since you've been in the united kingdom which is now around about nine months do you look back at south africa and say goodness me we're really really small compared to the existence that that has unfolded over the last nine months in other words uh, let me give you an example. I'm not explaining myself very well. I came to the Netherlands uh, three, three and a half years ago. And I thought to myself, "Well, in South Africa, I could send an email to this person or to that company and say, would you like this, this, this and this? And they say, well, that's very good. But unfortunately, we've already got that. In South Africa, it was relatively easy. If you were well educated and had uh, the ability to, to, to speak properly and converse in England and Europe in general, no, everybody's doing it. It is so competitive compared to South Africa.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm certainly finding that over here. Um, and look, I, I'm still very much running my South African business remotely. I'm fortunate that it's the type of business that I can do that. So you know, my, my life from a work and business perspective hasn't really changed at all. But having said that, you know, I am obviously trying to set up something in the UK. I want to get Traders Corner London up and going. Um, and to try and replicate the type of business that I've run in South Africa for the last ten years, and to try and create something similar over here, focusing on the UK and the US markets particularly. And and you're quite right. I mean, you you know in South Africa, I, I guess this could be anywhere really. But you you go, you build a brand, you um, you build up a reputation, you build a network of people that you're familiar with. And and I had done that in South Africa. I mean, I'd built a, a personal brand around garth mckenzie and traders corner and yes. most of the time most you know, certainly in the financial markets community people have heard of me and they know who i am um, and you can go into a room or a meeting and you go there with some um, level of credibility just based on your reputation um, whereas over here it's totally different nobody's ever heard of garth mckenzie or traders corner so it's it's like starting from the bottom rung of the ladder again and like you say, things are very competitive. There's, you know, there's 101 other people like me doing what I do, uh, all competing for their slice of the cake over here. And they've all got a, a head start on me in the terms of the, the reputation and years and years of network building and what have you. And I'm, you know, well behind the curve on that front. So it it is difficult. Um, and I knew that coming over here that it wouldn't be uh, an easy thing to just slot into a new network of people from a business standpoint it's going to take time I, i've no doubt about that um, but i'm i'm 40 now so i figure i've still got another 20 or 30 years of work life left in me and i just have to keep on pushing and keep on putting one foot in front of the other and keep trying to to build that reputation in the de- in the developed world um, but at the same time, as much as I'll do that, I'm, I'm certainly not abandoning my South African interests and my South African roots. You know, no. I've got a good, I've, I've got a good business there. I've got a very loyal uh, following in South Africa, and uh, as much as I possibly can, I continue to service the, the clients and the audience that I've got over there, uh, because there is there is still a good business to be had in South Africa, and it's uh, and, and it would be daft of me to ignore that.
0: No, you mustn't ignore it. You mustn't ignore your roots because um, eventually cycles tell us that South Africa will be flavor of the month again. And there will be people that, for example, in London, the desks in London saying, well, South Africa now for the next couple of years is where we're going to focus. I mean, for example, the bond market recently, the South African bond market has been a focus of attention from one particular hedge fund. And people are saying, well, look at this yield compared to the yields that we've been used to on other emerging market desks and other Uh, developed world uh, bond markets. So so there will always be a a fashion. And I think if you can establish yourself as a South African specialist living in the United Kingdom, close to London, where you are, then that may be your niche. I don't know. But anyway, that's what I've been trying to do from uh, from Rotterdam. Let's have a look at the, the market now. Because off air, you said to me that you'd been having a look at certain stocks, On the JSE Securities Exchange that trade a certain amount, and you came up with a staggering number. I mean, it really hit home to me about the liquidity and the tradability of certain stocks and the untradability of others. Maybe start with the the ones that you 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 analysed. In other words, the ones with around about a one million dollar per day turnover, which is tiny.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was really an exercise I did um, a little while back. to satisfy my own curiosity I guess because now I, I watch a broad um, watch list of stocks on the JSE I, I have a watch list of about 130 or 140 odd shares that I look at but you know it it, it occurred to me that the, I go through this list every day and so many of them I just go next 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 just nothing to see here you know and I thought to myself, I need to whittle down this watch list. It's too big. I need to focus on where there is liquidity and and tradability. And I thought, okay, well, let me as a as a rough guide and a rough rule of thumb, let's say k- shares that trade more than twenty million rand per day notional value on average right. every day. Let's let's try and you know filter those ones out. And I came up with a list of of seventy four shares. Um, and of those seventy four shares, then uh, six of them were inward listed, so there's no CFDs available to trade on on those shares, which is the game I'm mainly in CFDs. Yes. So it takes takes it down to sixty eight shares. And then I thought, you know, gosh, here I am, I'm I'm a you know market strategist, a technical analyst. I'm looking for ideas to try and and suggest to clients and try and trade but you know it really occurred to me that the pond that I'm fishing in is is barely even counts as a pond anymore it's more like a puddle now and 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 that makes it difficult you know there are so many stocks that used to be very liquid and very tradable that that I watched regularly uh, that simply are no longer even worth trading anymore just because they've turned into penny shares and the liquidity is no longer there um, you know, think about something like like an EOH as an example. You know, it was a 150, 180 rand stock at one stage, and it traded plenty. Now it's it's the three rand stock, and it hardly trades much volume. Um, you know, so and 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 there are a number of others like that. So the 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 pool that we play in has become substantially shallower on the JSE, and that 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 is sad, and it's difficult to. Um, to operate in that sort of environment.
0: How many stocks can you trade a day efficiently uh, that meet your criteria? In other words, liquidity and interest from uh, overseas and local investors?
1: Well, look, it depends on your style of trading. So if you are an intraday trader, um, there are opportunities. There's no question. I mean, you've still got naspers and Anglo-American and Billiton and MTN and Sunlum and quite an array of, of other stocks that um, – that, that, that do trade sufficient volume intraday that you can try and capture the small movements on those. The style of trading that I do, however, is is not really like I'm not a day trader. Uh, I'm more of a position trader. I'll take positions and hold them for a couple of days to maybe a couple of weeks. And, 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 and in that respect, you know, I don't come up with opportunities like that every single day. I find that often I can go days without an opportunity where I just have to sit tight and wait um The opportunities do come you know every month there's at least five or six or seven you know opportunities that fit my criteria to trade so it's fine the The opportunity is sufficiently there, but I'm just saying it's not as it's not as clear and easy as it used to be to come up with ideas and opportunities that that meet the type of criteria that I look for when coming up with trades.
0: But you can't do something like uh, have a look at Murray and Roberts Holdings Limited, which has just come out with a business update and trading statement a couple of hours ago. Uh, Business update and trading statement, Murray and Roberts Holdings, a share price up Uh, 21.3%. That's not the sort of thing that you're looking at because of the liquidity problem? Or Again, what are your criteria for investing in a stock? Because you obviously have to get out once you've got in.
1: Yeah, well, that's it. So, I mean, liquidity obviously is one of the first things I look at. I need to know that I can get in and get out and also know that getting in and out at a, at a reasonable price. You know, I don't want to have a buy-sell spread that is so wide you can drive a bus through it. Mm. So, yeah, I, need, I need liquidity. That's that's the first thing. Um, my, my, tech, my, my criteria is very much uh, technical analysis based. So, I look for breakouts and I look for tests of support and um, tests of resistance and that type of thing and uh, but your technicals work you know best on on stocks that are fairly liquid and th- yes. there's enough tradability for those technicals to um to 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 act out. Um so something like the example that you've just given of Marion Roberts now to me that's you, you would have needed to be in beforehand if you had known that was coming which then you might have been inside of trading. But the other way I would possibly then look to trade something like that would actually be to rather try and take advantage of the overreaction if there is an overreaction um, and know that it, when, often when a share price swings very hard in one direction, it does eventually stall out and and you know move a bit in the opposite direction. So those are the sort of opportunities where I think one can try and look for um, an overreaction, an overshoot to some news like that where you perhaps didn't expect the news to come. But once it came, um, then the opportunity presents itself in the form of the overreaction.
0: Okay, maybe there's been an overreaction to the upside in certain markets. I mean, even the South African market to consolidating itself for, for a while, anywhere above 50,000, I think it was 52,000 at one stage, was on Friday dipped below 50,000. I don't know where it is now, but that's, that not, uh, let that not detain us. I look at something like this headline, Anglo Gold Ashanti shut South African mine after finding 164 coronavirus cases. That tells me that maybe the worst is to come for South Africa. And although we're opening up, Uh, Maybe we'll have to uh, ease back the opening up or even close down again afterwards. And does that affect your thought process? And does that make you look at different sectors of the market and say, well, this one will do well, like Distel, for example, has done well today, up 6%, and the miners will do badly because they'll have to shut down their operations. So many different moving parts.
1: There are lots of different moving parts. And um, I mean, even within the miners, you've then got to take it one step further and say, you know some mines are more susceptible than others so a lot of the broker research that i've seen recently has said that if you're going to be focusing on the mining space you want to focus on the open pit miners where you've mm. got you know these gigantic articulated dump trucks that are driven by one person and can carry you know 200 tons of ore or whatever in in the back um rather that type of operation is not likely to be so susceptible to the coronavirus as opposed to these deep-level mining stocks where you've got to jam 50 guys in a lift and send them, you know, a kilometer underground to go and find what they're looking for. Um, so you you do have to be careful and look selective in that respect. Um, and then, I mean, that's just the talking about the mining space now. But obviously, you're right. There are other sectors of the market, some that are going to be more effective than others. Um, you know, we've noticed, for example, the banking sector of the market is very weak by and large and uh, I guess that is a function of the weak economy um, bad debts are likely to to tick higher even though interest rates have come down so banking shares have remained pretty much under pressure um, and and likely to remain so probably distal being up as it is most likely on the back of the fact that now alcohol sales will be allowed so yeah. that makes sense why the stock is up as much as it has been yeah, so you you most definitely do need to look at specifics and think of what the what um, you, you know various developments regarding the coronavirus and the lockdown and the easing of the lockdown
0: might do for various companies. Yeah. Okay, so where are you positioned at the moment, if at all?
1: Um, at the moment, I am. I locally, I'm not positioned in anything right now. Actually, I'm just it's a, a public holiday in the US and the UK, so I'm not. Uh, actually into into anything right now. However, I am watching um MTN. I think MTN at around about 50 rand there's quite nice solid support around that area. So I'll be looking at possibly buying that into into any more weakness now. um And then offshore, I follow the S&P 500 quite closely, and there yes. I've uh, I've yeah for years when we've been talking, I think I've often said to you, I put these option structures on. And I'm running an option structure up to July there where it's a put spread option structure. So it'll make money if the S&P 500 closes up below 3,000 in July. Uh, and then I'll make some money. If it's above 3,000, then I'll lose my premium and it's not the end of the Be world. Be careful.
0: It's 29.83 at the moment on the futures market up 1%, obviously in very thin conditions because of no, mm. no London and no uh, real market later on. But uh, it's yeah. pushing up there. It's up a percent yeah. today. And I can't understand the rationale given that I think 12 states of the United States that have opened up have uh, announced a spike in coronavirus or COVID-19 infections over the last uh, 24 hours. I don't understand why the S&P is up here. Yeah
1: I mean there's lots of, of, of confusion around the way the market has just rallied so aggressively off the lows when in fact at an economic level um, things are still not not good, and the market almost looks like it's pricing in a V-shaped recovery. But e- economically, it's very difficult to be, to believe that there's going to be a V-shaped recovery. Um, I think when it comes to the U.S. markets, the one thing that that really has been a big driver is the fact that the Federal Reserve has just continued to pump stimulus into the into the economy and into the market at a, at an unprecedented rate. Mm. Um, and that, a lot of that money has seems to be finding its way into stocks, and that's been driving up um, the S&P 500. Also something to keep in mind when we talk about S&P 500 is that the it's become quite a skewed market in the sense that it's it's become very, very heavily weighted towards a handful of stocks. Um, there's about five or six shares that really make up the bulk of the weighting of, of the S&P 500 now, and it's all your um you know, microsoft facebook amazon apple um the these tech kind of companies that uh that have been and google is another one that have been um very very strong over the years and they've made they've started to make up a disproportionately large uh weighting of the S&P 500 so you know, you have to dig a little bit below the surface and say well those shares are doing very very well but they're also those shares are also being offset by weaker performances in a number of the other old economy stocks in the U.S. as well. So, for example, like your banking sector in the U.S. also still under pressure, um, and something like, for example, General Electric, which is you know once an almighty great industrial company. I mean that that stock has just been an absolute disaster and continues to you know plunge into new low territory so you've got this huge discrepancy between uh, sectors of the US market that are doing well and sectors that are not doing well but do just keep in mind that it it does appear that there are sort of a fairly small handful of very mega cap stocks that are that are strong and are sort of i suppose creates a little bit of an illusion that the S&P 500 is doing or that the U.S. stock market broadly is doing better than what it actually is. When you scratch below the surface, not, not all the stocks are doing so well.
0: We've had a massive bounce back from the horrible lows of the end of March of 2020. It's not so much a blanket selling environment or a blanket buying environment anymore end of february beginning of march you could have sold anything and anything would have gone down apart from those uh, those fang stocks that you've just been talking about it would have been an easy trade it would have been like trading on ants what is it now is it a stock pickers market an asset class pickers market what is it
1: yeah it does it's, it does certainly seem to be a stock pickers market and you, you've got to look i mean where the strength is now seems to very much be in those new age types of companies so Look at things like, you know, for example, um, Netflix is a great example of a new age company that's been very defensive during this time. And that stock's still at new highs, um, notwithstanding everything that's going on in the world. And it makes sense. People are, have been locked down in entertainment and streaming, streaming movies and things. there's a big, big business now. So that's the kind of stock that's done well. Um, other things that are doing well are something like Peloton it's like for those who don't know peloton it's a company that if i mean it's quite simple really but they make an exercise bike that's effectively got an ipad on the front of it and you have the ability to Gosh. um to, to to you know do your spinning class in the comfort of your own home while you've got some pretty girl on the other side of the ipad who's actually there she's real she's doing the class with you at the same time but no, um, it, but 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 you know you can you can log in and do these cor- these classes remotely
0: uh, from the comfort of your own home. And so people like that stuff, it. don't they? I mean, there's certain types of people that like that sort of. Uh, well, I just did a, a class with this with this girl in a, in a leotard who was in you know, Silicon Valley or something like that. Yeah. 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 No, that's right.
1: And okay, then it, you know, it also then, it then links into the whole social media realm as well, mm-hmm. where you can now share your your workout with you know, millions of other people that are also doing the same workout at the same time. Would you like to or, share
0: your workout with millions of people? <laughs> well,
1: look, I think I, wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't stand out. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, Garfield, quickly, your advice to someone who is considering, has the means, first of all, and uh, with those means, is considering moving away from South Africa. What would your advice be to them?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think, first of all, do your homework uh, and make sure you know what you are getting yourself into. Um, we, we're very fortunate. We did do a lot of research. We, came, My wife and I came over here for two weeks and we, we kicked the tires very thoroughly and I, you know... Friends of mine joked. They said, "Are you going there with your tourist eyes on?" And I said, "No, I'm going there with my calculator." Mm. And 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 I literally did. I mean, I came over. We researched the cost of living, the cost of everything, we areas to live in, schools, all sorts of things. We tried as best as possible to ensure that we knew what we were getting ourselves into, and that when we arrived here, we wouldn't face any unexpected surprises. And and I must say that you know, ha- having done that research, really, really did help us tremendously in the sense that we were able to come in, land here and set up a life quite quickly and quite easily. And we weren't really, I mean, to be honest, there's been very little that's that has surprised us in the sense of what, nothing, nothing big has surprised us, let's put it that way. Did the UK so authorities
0: think- make it easy for you?
1: Well, they did. Uh, they did make it all easy for us. Look, we also had the unique situation that my, my wife has a British passport and my two sons uh, have British passports. There we go. And I and I could qualify for an ancestral visa in my own right. So that obviously was was a huge uh, benefit for us, which not everybody has that benefit. But it, that definitely helped us. Um, and I know from other friends of mine that have. There is, let's not be, you know, beat around the bush. There's a massive wave of immigration out of South Africa and skills exiting South Africa at the moment. I've got um, 12 friends in my fairly close circle that have, that have left South Africa in the last year and a half. Mm. Um, and, and some of them are here in the UK, some have gone to New Zealand, and some have gone to Australia. Um, and for some of those people, it's been easier to get into those countries than it has for others due to passports or skills or money or whatever the case might be. But I think, yeah, to answer your original question, you know, make sure you do your research and and uh, because honestly doing your research and knowing what you're getting yourself into allows you to then plan properly and and, and by planning properly you can avoid making a lot of costly mistakes. Uh, when it comes to a huge life-changing thing like this,
0: I promise you this is my last question. But you've got 12 friends in your immediate circle that have already left, whether it be to the United Kingdom, to the Antipodes, or wherever it is. I mean, that's that's the denudation of the tax base, which is actually very frightening. I mean, it's not well, as if I don't know about it, but when you say it, I suddenly think, "Hello, what's going on here?" Well, it,
1: it, it is very frightening, Lindsay. And the thing is that these are all families that were probably earning, you know, one and one and a half million rand a year plus. Yes. Um, they were in the top tax bracket. Um, and, and they were skilled. I mean, these are we talking, um, you know, engineers, uh, sci- scientists, doctors, IT professionals, et cetera. And those are the ones that have left. Right and and i mean i could probably list another 20 that i know who are right now in the process of looking to leave and are p- making their, you know seriously making plan b to move somewhere else so since we've been here in the uk not not obviously in the last 2 or 3 months with the lockdown but before that we have hosted i don't know how many friends and family that have come over here on a look see trip to the mm. uk because they're also thinking of of making the move it's just it's it is actually quite frightening, and like you say, it's a huge um degradation of of the tax base and the skills base in south africa and it's it's very very sad yeah and and i, I don't you know obviously i've made my i've voted with my feet already, so take it from where it comes but i mean i'm I'm patriotic to South Africa, I love South Africa I would yes. have loved to stay there As do but I. I just yeah, but I just didn't like the way things were going there and and I worry for the future of my kids. Mm. And, and we ultimately, we looked at the situation and said, you know, this is just not sustainable. We need to uh, make a plan to, to set up life somewhere else.
0: Um, and you've done so, and you've you've assimilated yourself very well, and hopefully that your aspirations to expand Traders' Corner will go to the, the City of London and beyond, I hope. Garth, thanks so much for your time. That's Garth McKenzie from traderscorner.co.za. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors, and do not reflect the policy, position,